Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to another edition of Turn Out of Punk Footnotes. I'm one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host, that wrestling loving Chris O'Toole. Chris, how you sure. doing, buddy? Good. <laughs> I like that you just queued that up as the off-air talk we just had. Yes, very fitting. It was a perfect segue for us to start the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, true. Very true. You having a good? Everything going good, buddy? Yeah, like I, I, I'm going to because we talked about it, but I got to fit it in. I'd like to, you know, they're not my team, but I just want to send a sincere thank you to the Boston Bruins, who, as of the recording of this podcast, had just eliminated the Leafs from the playoffs. So, thank you for saving me many headaches and uh, Damien, uh, like what a thousand percent less uh, honking horns in your neighborhood oh, and gosh, in the yeah. city. Oh yeah. So I yeah, a horn, a horn to be. Nary a horn to be heard right now. Yeah. Which Gonna is be funny because, of... like, didn't the Raptors win tonight? Mm, I don't know. Uh, but um, what I will say is there's probably going to be a lot of miserable people in the, in the city tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. But uh, for you, so apologies there. Oh, uh, the Raptors on the sports report, as we are now saying, yes, they did win. And, yes, there are no horns for that one, weirdly no. enough. No. But you know what? Maybe it's because uh... – you know, like people are people are hesitant with horns till they clinch the the series. Yeah, that's true. That's right. You would have, exactly the, the Leafs would have progressed had they won. Yes. Thankfully, they didn't. No. So we are all at peace. But um, anyway, yeah, that's uh, that's all that's up as far as like at present. So I'm feeling uh, you know feeling pretty happy about that. To be honest with you, the only thing that really affects my morning is whether <laughs> or not the Blue Jays won. Yes, I'm well aware that you are the 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 household that you know in the spirit of Johnny Ramone, baseball lovers. Um, but yeah, oh, and it was a tight, tight, close game. But it went the Blue Jays went down in the end, uh, four three. I have not. Uh, I don't really fall. 
<laughs> I don't really follow baseball, but I know that you're, the Jays are not as, uh, I don't know, as good as people were expecting, I guess is the way to say it. No, they're doing, like, uh, it was meant to be a rebuilding year. <clears throat> sure. Know, there's a lot of people saying this is going to be a rebuilding year. They lost some big name talent. And, like, I'm hardly the person who should be having this conversation. <laughs> what I've gleaned from my uh, eight-year-old child is that they're in second place currently. Okay. And well, they're in a really enough. tough division. Like, we have, like, the Boston Red Sox and the Yankees and yeah. some other team and probably another team. And I think there's even maybe one more team. But, <laughs> you know. Yes. People are loving this, by the way, that we start off the uh, the Footnotes podcast with a whole bunch of sports, sports talk. Hot. <laughs> We're dissecting sports. We're applying the same nerdy obsession to detail to talking about sports, which is... You know, not a lot. Not a lot of detail. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, everything going good for you, apart from the uh, the uh, decimation of your uh, your favorite sports team that I'm sure. Uh, is, is your favorite sports team still in the playoffs? No. My favorite, like, well, I have teams, but, yeah, they, they didn't make it this year. So that was my – it's actually a weird relief when your team isn't good when it has been good, believe it or not. But um, well, that's good. But my other team, actually, I should have showed this out too. My other team that I follow of a different sport, City, won the league. So there we go. So all the other right. uh, football fan, oh, for you and Robbie, that's not going to be uh, a psyched. No, we thing, fucking but, uh, hate City. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't. But regardless, Arr, uh, City. But yeah, so I guess sport-wise, yeah, I'm okay. It's it's all right right now in the world of sports. All right. Well, that's good. Um, for me, sports are killer right now. Yeah, we're in a real and, boom period for my sport. As you, were, <laughs> as you were, I like that you keep saying art form. That's a, it's a clever little. Uh, it's like this. Uh, it's a, it's like an elevated way of saying it's like above sport. Well, it is because it is. You know. <laughs> Fair enough. It I'm is. not. I'm not taking this. I'm not. I'm not biting on this. You no, can, you can have it. I, I will have it, and I'll destroy it. <laughs> how is the uh how's the punk wrestling connection uh social media going by punk the way? wrestling connection instagram is doing well i'm trying to keep it to like a post a day these days some days i don't make it haven't done one yet today for example probably won't do one today uh but i got i got a lot of content it's just you know remembering you put it all up how is the uh, how's the traction you getting positive feedback from people oh yeah people love it People nice. love it. I'm meeting, uh, meeting some cool people over this thing too. People are writing me and things like that. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of people out there. Like it's, it's amazing how much of a crossover there is. And if anything, it just further validates that <laughs> this is the most punk adjacent <laughs> physical activity. <laughs> I would say next to drawing art form too. <laughs> Oh well, like I don't even know what to say count, that. But like, I think wrestling is closer than dance. <laughs> you know, I never even thought of the idea of dance as a as a category. You know, there are definitely <laughs> bands that have dance routines incorporated into their shit. Oh yeah, but it doesn't seem to me, you know, as much wrestling that's incorporated into you know, <laughs> punk. Fair enough. Fair enough. Brody King's so, doing really well, by the way. Former uh, guest on the show, doing well in okay. PWG. All right. Um, also, you know Matt Cross, like 
Jimmy Havoc. We've got like the all all the all punk turned out a punk wrestling team is killing it right now. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. <laughs> Way better than the two retired people we have from hockey and the uh, one retired person <laughs> we have from the NBA. We don't know. Uh, we don't know any current hockey players that are that no, are in into the punk. Boy Devereaux. Yes, the coolest hockey player ever because he has a psych label. And then yep. we have Felix Potvan, who I did see skank at the pit for less than Jake. <laughs> and apparently, someone sent this into I think to the footnotes email address, wasn't it? In Doug Gilmore's autobiography, there's like a mention of how dangerous he thought Felix Potvan's uh, extracurricular activities were because he would go into the mosh pits at Scott shows. I don't remember covering that this, on this show. I don't but we covered it on the show, but I remember it's someone amazing sent it to, to me, hear, and I yeah. wish I remember where it was so I could call it up now and get the exact quote. But Doug Gilmore apparently in some book made reference to That's how, hilarious. how dangerous and risky Felix yeah. Bogdan's behavior was by going to these <laughs> violent punishments. Oh, my. He was well, a huge – li- he, he liked Jersey. Could it be any different, like any more dangerous than getting pucks blasted at you all, you know, every game for, you know, a year? <laughs> like, Dude, I don't you know. don't know what, what, you don't know what it's like when a sort of jelly beans gets on that stage. This is true. Toronto, and he is without, a, late 90s. He's, he's without equipment too in the pit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there's no cup, there's no, <laughs> no blocker, no other yeah, pads that they wear. It's true. Isn't there, wasn't I, there like I, a hockey player with like an Alexa on fire thing painted on his helmet? Yes. Uh, I believe it's Ben Scrivens. If I, it was one of these former Leaf goalies. Uh, I want to say it's Ben Scrivens. Okay. But so. yes, he seems to be pals with our friends. I don't know. I'm just trying to think. There was another. Anyway, I, fe- I feel like that's the correct name. If it's not, apologies. But um, he no longer plays with the Leafs, but I can't remember what team he's on. But yeah, he he has the uh, the logo on his helmet. It, it, has he moshed? And like that, I don't know. Show? But he's definitely like come to shows for sure, and okay. like hung out for sure. I've never, I have never seen him in a, in a pit. Okay, let so alone I that think we're pit. still going to have to rank it then. Boy, Devereaux number one. <laughs> well, of course, Felix Podvan number two. Yeah, and this guy number three because Felix Podvan, while not doing a cool psych label, did mosh. <laughs> Fair enough. Like, I would see him in the pit. Yeah. It was see, like an impact unit song. <laughs> yeah, the the difference for me is that they get, they get like, points demoted for, like, their associations. So, for me, Potvin just loses from the Leafs. So, you know, I don't like that association. So, he would be basement for me on that on that list but would you have pit beef with you so i'm like chris let's say like no because he played for other teams too but uh, let's but, say like you're there in 90 what was it 99 98 90, no. 97 98 maybe um you know uh assorted jelly beans or less than jake or jersey are on stage you're at the show because it's a snow jam and you're there to see straight face they're playing later um, <laughs> you, sure, see, yeah. <clears throat> you see Felix Potvin in that pit, oh. you know, if you take him out, that's one less hurdle that one of your ice hockey teams have to get by. No, it's weird. What's funny you that you're them. actually mentioning, this is actually a good little set. This is like great sports talk right now, but, um, yeah, like weirdly enough, I've always had a lot of sympathy for Leafs goalies. 
So I've never had any animosity toward their goaltenders because in these years, their goalies were the ones that were the only players on the team that were any good. So, um, yeah, I felt sympathy for them. And, it, you know, so no, I wouldn't, I've never had any animosity that way. There's not even actually a lot of players, period. I would even on teams I don't like, but, um, yeah, no, I'm not that guy anyway. So more than likely you'd go up to them in the pit and you'd be like, yo, stick around for straight face. They're playing later on. <laughs> yes, <For> exactly. <laughs> yeah, we would uh, have our arms around <laughs> each other's necks and uh, we would be whatever, unison, uh, you know, circle jerk guying, uh, yes. logo guying around, whatever you want to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny because, like, you know, he's still, like, one of the coolest hockey players, obviously. But he's not the coolest goalie ever. Because that's Ron no, Hextall. God, no. Yeah, no. Ron there's the uh, Goalies, there's a lot of weirdo cool goalies that are like weird, like, are great because they're weird. Yeah, Felix, the cat is a cool nickname. I'll give him that. And yeah. the fact that he like even adjacently liked punk in any regard is kind of cool. And he was and a monster. Apparently he's a monster. <laughs> and he also, well, he was drafted by the Leafs, but he also played for other teams that are more important than the Leafs. So that's also cool. But um, Do you think we, in I, retrospect, we should have been like, you know, like if Turn Out a Punk had been a thing back then, we should have pushed this nickname for him, which would be Felix Damasher. <laughs> instead of the cat. True, yeah, true. <laughs> well... What I, I think this is a missed opportunity for the generation before us, perhaps, for not it was. Uh, you know, jumping on board of that. What was the turn of a punk of the generation before us? Just Nardwar. It was up to Nardwar. Well, Nardwar, like, uh, what's the, why am I failing to think of this, the college radio show that used to help do? Um, Mods and Rockers. Oh, yeah, this Mods and like, Rockers. Oh, that I used Mods to help do. Mods and Rockers. Yeah, yeah. We knew we we did report about uh, Felix Potvin moshing in the pit. You know, I feel like I did my due diligence as a street reporter for that po- for that sort of podcast radio show. Well, I I have no play. I just mean it's it's they didn't take the mantle with nicknaming them is what I mean. No, we did not. No, I don't think I knew about Damasher as the surname for so many great moshers. Well, and here's here will blow your mind again. Although this is late years, mind you, for for that nickname in all consideration. But he then went from the Leafs to the Islanders of New York, which oh. are from Long Island. So yeah. that would have like been perfect. Although this was in eighty ninety eight or whatever, so it's a little you know a little past the prime. But there's some still you know. I wonder stuff. if the show's still there. Well, even still, he's playing in New York. You know, when he's traveling, even yeah. with the Leafs in the early nineties or whatever. Yeah, who knows. I know. So Probably. Maybe you went and saw some cool stuff. He's the one I got to get on this podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just found Boy Devereaux's card, so I'm going to renew that that <laughs> pursuit, and then we'll get yeah. to fe- uh, you know feels. I want to find some new ones. I want to find some new. There's got to be new. That dude, the guy, players. the guy that's friends with uh, our friends. Like the guy's got the yeah, yeah, yeah. Logo. But there's no. No, but there's got to be others. Is what I mean what, to say. There's not like there was that dude that was like a baseball player that was friends with like. Toby from H2O and Chad from Van Glory and I think Scott Vogel. This is, I'm, I don't know. I don't know this one. And he was like straight edge. Hmm. I do not know that one. And he's friends with CM Punk too. <laughs> okay. Also CM Punk. Uh, yeah, exactly. 
yeah. Anyway, there's there's a bunch you got to get to. Point Cherokee being. Parks though is, is right up there because yeah, oh, sister yeah. was natural. Sister was a natural pussy. Yep. Uh, he's friends with Atiba, and he yep. also uh, had a pop like a skate punk bar in Orange County. Yeah, like, he was an epithet NBA player. Was his sister not also? I want to. I don't know, maybe reporting this mistake. Like married to or with Dwayne Peters? Yeah, they for were. A they, they they were married. I, I, and once again, I'm not. I'm not to say that they are broken up. If they're not, I just don't. I don't know. Yeah, I, there, I knew there was some affiliation there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because yeah. they played together in a band. They did. Yes. Um, but that is uh, a future episodes of Turn Up Punk. We're not here to talk about sports people today. We're here to talk about a fucking music yeah, legend. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's going to be a lot to get to, so we should just get to the... the Dude, we had 14 tape. minutes of bullshit. We didn't even open the mailbag. We're, I think we're going to have to cut some letters today because we'll this see. is They're... Jerry A. This is, is? If, if we're talking about that Turnout of Punk Hall of Fame, to me this is a, a first-round first ballot. Oh, of course. Yeah, there's no question. No question at all. Like you said, like I, I was actually thinking about it upon listening when you your intro... And end outro. You were saying, I believe you like you say outright. This is your favorite of hardcore band. I don't know. Like, they're definitely you know. It's it's hard to ever say that you love Absolutes. I'm not a big fan of them that way, but you know, definitely up there for me. Like top. There's no way they wouldn't be. They could not be outside of the top five if not. Yeah, because I'm gonna like. And let me. You know, this is obviously something that we could get to later on in the show, but we can do it now because. God knows, we're going to have a lot to talk about today. But I think, like, okay, Black Flag immediately eliminated from the conversation. They had too many vocalists, right? Like, it was kind of like, obviously, Greg Ginn (laughs) is consistent throughout the whole band. Yeah. But, you know, apart from that, like, you know, uh, I would say Cro-Mags, he kind of got, like, one of the great LPs of all time. Yep. But that's one of the great LPs of all time. You know, it might even be the greatest, as some people would say. Like, you know, I, I know I've definitely said that on occasion as well, even though I think we've also both agreed that the demo might be some of the cooler recordings for fans yeah, oh yeah. for sending yep. music. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's one LP. Negative Approach, one LP, and arguably the 7-inch is kind of better than the LP. But anyway, like an amazing LP and amazing 7-inch. Like, you know, mm-hmm. once again, arguably the best ever, but just one. You know, and I think yeah, I can no, do this for like a lot this of. This is your point, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, lifespan for sure of of a group is you have to take into consideration for sure. But they also um, progressed, you know. Like, there's a lot of bands that survive for a long time, and, and just their sound didn't really evolve. And Poison Idea found a way to evolve their sound, but never suck. And I know we have different opinions on the best Poison Idea record, but for my money, they're one of those bands that actually like peaks. You know, and that's rare. Like, I would say, like, you know, not that I'm saying that I'm putting this band on the same level to me personally. You know, I know some people, they would say, put this band above it. But, like, Refused is another band that I think peaks late, you know? And I think yeah. Toys and Idea starts hot, you know, and are hot yeah. the whole way through. But yes. when Feel the Darkness hits, that's like a fucking masterpiece. Well, I think what you're, you know, it's an interesting comparison, what you just said. Like in terms of the the comparison, uh, what I think I, I agree with you on outright is it, it is for me it's rare that a punk band by their like well it's not third release but say third LP certainly you know is yeah like really kind of finds their groove rather than 
is sort of falling out of the groove by then. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you there, and that's a, that's a unique thing for for Poison Idea. I agree. I like our when you were saying like we disagree. Like I don't like we don't disagree too much on Poison Idea in terms of like yeah I've said you know for me pick your king, but it, pick your king is like pro. It's hard again. It's hard to choose favorite, but it's definitely again top three for me records hardcore records period. So that's why I have trouble choosing feel the darkness above it but um they're both exceptional and i can't argue that you know if i were to give someone like you know or like what record to get into a band from i would probably use feel the darkness with poison idea even though i feel like pick your king is the most like one of the most exemplary examples of like raw primitive like punk hardcore at its you know how it should be well then record collectors right is also like yeah fucking incredible and then kings of punk's amazing too like it's like yeah it's it's like it's they had a run uh, like an, uh, an incredible run and they never got bad like and i think mm-hmm. you know that's that's a rare thing i know i know dave martin contributor uh punk aficionado takes exception yeah. to me saying teenage head is also in that category <laughs> um, but you know i think bad i mean you know there's like bands that got bad and did shit that's like you know, not bad because everyone is free to do whatever the fuck they want with their band. Yes. But at the same time, maybe like wasn't in keeping with what they were pursuing prior to. Yeah, like for me, it the easiest way to say it is we've had discussions in the past for those who are listen regularly about like the idea of departure records and bands kind of like losing identity and like that's sort of been the the crux of some of our previous discussions. I think. Poison Idea is a great example of a band that never, to me, seemed to really lose their identity. And although they did do arguably a departure, you know, at points, like Field of Darkness art is definitely a departure from like the first thing they did, but it's not bad. Like it's not, it's maybe their best moment, even, you know, I can't argue that it's not. So and that's rare because because most of that kind of move for bands of this ilk is a miss, in my opinion almost always i'd say nine out of ten so um yeah they're they're just extremely unique for me all along you know when you consider a lot of different metrics about why their band is great and why their records are great and anyway yeah i can't uh, i can't wait to dissect it more with you yeah we're gonna get to that in a second but i guess first we should dissect the the bag that hangs over our head every week Yes. And that is the mailbag. Agreed. So we have a back of the house uh, message here, which uh, is from, of course, Mr. Martin, one of the Daves. And uh, he just has a great little anecdote that I wanted to share, which we both read, but just with the listeners, which I think is very fitting for the episode. Because um, he mentions how way back when he was on tour with the Cynics and they stayed with Jerry. He doesn't mention. Oh, he did mention a year, 93. And... Uh, just mentions how he's super nice and he remembers being amazed and a bit freaked out at three things he had on the walls in his living room were a photo of JFK, a Smith's record, and a Jandek record, <laughs> which I think is just really amazing, <laughs> especially in hindsight. But it's such a bizarre pairing of things or whatever, coupling, trio. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I thought that was a neat little anecdote. That's and awesome. Yeah. Dave also mentions that uh, when he they arrived home from tour – uh, in 93, that he sent him a copy of the Nosebleeds, I Ain't Been 
to no music school seven inch as a thanks for letting uh them crash at his house which now i wish you would ask jerry if he still had it yeah i wish well that'll be for part two yeah um because and, he is definitely uh yeah someone that i would love to have back for obviously part twos as well that's awesome to know that he has that it's also amazing that like, this comes up in the show as well like when jerry brings it up but how the smiths even divided that band Loved that story, and you know we've had this uh, a miniature discussion about this on the show before. I'm always on that one side too, and I've, I've I always feel like in the punk world I'm swimming upstream trying to like, uh, whatever. Not even convince people. I'm not worried about that in, at this point. But you always you, you know if you're into the Smiths at all or, or band like any band like that, you, you you experience a fair bit of resistance. I don't know. I think punk is and punk and the Smiths are pretty much. You know, they are, but they are. But I'm talking about like not from people like you, but people like us who are more like uh, a bit more whatever elitist, so to speak, about why perhaps they wouldn't like it. And th- those are the people I encounter. Sort of the, I mean, in 2018, this is slightly different. Yeah, 2018 <laughs> contem- is slightly different. <laughs> the contemporary, you know, zeitgeist of Morrissey, uh, granted, is uh, you know a lot more to bear for a lot of people, and I don't. I, I understand. Now. I understand that. I'm talking about from like you know, the '90s, like like early to, to mid '90s. You know, having debates with people about why I don't, you know, why I like this group and why they don't suck and why it isn't like you know, soft and blah blah blah. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. So I, I like that idea that Tom <laughs> hated, hated the Smiths. I also think it's just super funny and. Uh, I don't know. It's just the age old, you know, for me, that was like a, a, that anecdote was of an era. I don't know if that era exists so much anymore. I think that was a very generational thing. I think even we were at the last end of that, that real, like, I don't get the Smiths. I hate this for people that like didn't have it. And then it came out of nowhere and it just made everything very annoying, I would imagine. And then they just like, were not having it because I've encountered a lot of people. That's what I'm talking about. The people like that are the ones I tend to be having these debates with. Yeah. No, I think, I think there's definitely a, a, a stream in hardcore that hates them. Um, but they're also beloved, you know, like I think that's the thing. Oh, about for sure. Band, you know, and, and once again, Morrissey is, is a hard pill to swallow in 2018. <laughs> yes. Um, but it's, you know, they, to me, they're like in their prime, you know, separating the art from the artist. Mm-hmm. Like like one of the best fucking bands ever for like lyrics and like matching the music like sounds completely unique like no one's ever ever really been able to kind of like replicate that sound. Well, it just for me like yeah I, like you're preaching to the converted on this one like I yeah I love the Smiths so like you know and again I realize that that contextually what that sounds like in 2018 is just sounds like any other you know, dude that goes to like some like pretentious coffee shop to like, you know, pretend I'm writing my screenplay or something. But like, realistically, like, you know, there was an era that I, you know, still can remember as a not old, old person, but old enough, you know, where this was genuinely like an outsider thing. It wasn't. And even when I like got into music like that at all, you know, I couldn't even really get why I liked it at first because again, it was comparatively to the things I was listening to. It was, it was softer and it didn't make sense to me why I would like something not sonically like pulverizing. 
But, uh, uh, you're forgetting yeah. about the one thing that is the uh, basis of the show, Chris. What's and that? That's the turn it a punk string theory. <laughs> Which is you knew when you heard them subconsciously. Oh yeah, that okay. what you were hearing was while softer than what you were into. <laughs> people that were involved At in the, the first, leads. Yeah, and the first that, uh, you know first Sex Pistols concert reverberations. Yeah, yeah. first Sex Pistols concert reverberations. Yeah. New York Dolls fan club. Yeah. Slaughter and the Dog auditions. True, all all correct, and this is exactly yeah. So. Yeah, regardless, yeah, so this is the age-old debate. But I liked that uh, in the interview, Jerry still was, you know, pretty adamant on that he loved the Smiths and that, you know, he was down with it, which is, again, not something I would have expected at all. Yeah, like he has, he has some fucking badass taste, but we're going to get into this in a second. First, we should yeah. get through the rest of this mailbag. Sure, yeah. So there was uh, one thing really quick here Dave had to mention, too, because we touched on it last week regarding – the posters in movies and TV shows we were talking about, uh, what was the pairing? It was like Our Lady Peace and what was the other one? Fuck, yeah, what was it? It was something hilarious. It was something decent or good and then Our Lady Peace, which is not good. Uh, Anyway, so he writes here, um, two quick notes, posters in movies and TV shows, labels get hit up. We should reference for the listeners who don't know, Dave works and has worked at record labels throughout the years, and so he is privy. Anyway, uh, labels get hit up all the time for that stuff, but as you imagine, once they get sent, they are at the mercy of the set designers and art department, and those folks are rarely in touch with the actual music to contextualize why such a bizarre pairing, as we mentioned last week, uh, could could exist. So there's a little uh, a little behind the scenes on that as well. There is one exception. What's that? Made. The movie Made. And Vince oh, Vaughn the shirt. Yeah, yeah, rocking yeah. the America's yeah. Hardcore shirt, which yep. has come up on the show before. Yep. And we did the deep dive and found out the, I believe it's the costume designer, maybe it's the set designer's name, who was in America's Hardcore. Yeah, but even, we've both discussed this on a previous one as well, but the uh, even in the, <laughs> for nerds, total nerds, the commentary on that, yes. uh, I don't, like he, uh, Vince Vaughn talks about yeah. Like that, he he talks about America's hardcore, like as he a group he knew. So it's not, um, yeah, it that wasn't you know placed there by someone else entirely. It was it was a a genuine artifact that was utilized. I think it was actually a member of the group, wasn't it? That's what I, I, I'm now. I'm desperately trying to remember the dudes. I believe name. it was it. It was it was some member of the group that ended up working in the film industry or yeah, something. Who had that's worked how on a bunch of different movies. Yeah, and that's how they sourced it. But but Vince was familiar with it. He he like, says yeah, like he's like this was like a a local hardcore band back in the yeah, day. Yeah. Fuck, it's not the set designer. I uh, can't. But yeah, there there's there was a, one of the old footnotes for those who want to scour. For those yeah. who remember, there, we do discuss that. Yeah, we do go into this whole thing, and then maybe mm-hmm. someone's going to send it to us again. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's pretty badass. Pretty yeah, totally. badass. And, you know, like, I, I still think there's, like, once in a while, there's, you, you know, like, it does, you know, you're just at the mercy of the people on set. But there's, like, once in a while, you get someone on set that obviously knows what's going on, and you get kind of cool references that make their way onto film or into weird places, right? Like, the Vandals yeah. in that episode of... Uh, X-Files? X-Files. And there's all those cool punk posters on, on Giovanni Rabisi's wall. 
I don't remember them. The one uh, that I also laugh about, again, not entirely related, but similar, was in uh, the movie Mars Attacks. It's not, you know, punk-centric, but it's uh, it's either a poster or he's wearing a shirt of Alien Sex Fiend, which clearly they utilize because of the, the theme of the movie being, like, aliens attacking or whatever. But, um, yeah, just I always like when there's little things like that. It used to be a bigger deal to me because it was more of a thing to have something that happened in a movie than it would be now perhaps but still cool yeah there's one and also the, there's a chromag sticker in uh uh what's the brendan fraser film with adam sandler oh uh, brendan fraser oh is there really i actually really like that movie it's totally funny and lame but Dude, it's, they also it, do a yeah. reagan youth cover in it they do and they're there's also I thought there was one other oh, thing in there. Yeah, there's something else in it. Like wasn't else. it a, wasn't it a degeneration? No, or that was it. That's the cover. Where's the? There's another thing they do. I can't. I'm trying to think of what it is. Uh, I don't remember the Chromex sticker though. That's wild. It's in their van. That's hilarious. Um. So there's someone anyway. definitely on set that knew New York hardcore. Yeah, probably Sandler. <laughs> Imagine that'd be funny. Maybe Brendan Fraser. Maybe Brendan Fraser, when he was in Toronto, was like going to BFG shows. <laughs> Total sidebar. Speaking one for one sec, because I just thought of this as you brought up the Chromags from uh, Airheads, which I again I gotta, I want to rewatch that movie to look out for that. But um, the uh, what about their part in the beat? Like the Chromags live footage. I think well, it's the beat, right? Yeah, Is that you the mean movie? you yeah. mean the best footage ever of a band? Yeah. In the history of film. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking incredible. I still, I remember catching that randomly and just being like blown away by like, why is this in this? Oh, it's like the most powerful, oh, it's like, I remember when we found out about that and just like, I I think DeLong got a copy of it and it was just like, this is incredible. Like, how does this exist? Like... I don't yeah, know, just, it felt like if that movie had gotten bigger, the Chromanks could have crossed over because that was the best goddamn commercial for a band I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's like anyway, Odd Future playing on uh, Fallon good. <laughs> True. I didn't mean to sidebar our talk of the postering or whatever, but yeah, I just it came to mind when you mentioned that because I didn't realize that they, were, uh, they had an Airheads little mention or whatever. Um, but uh, should we go to the next piece of mail? Yeah, next mail, really quick. Again, another hardcore love song submission. Uh, a song called "Practicing Uncertainty" by the Horror Show or Horror Show. I think there are two different bands, right? One, there's the Horror Show, and there's a Horror Show. I think. But anyway, he's referencing the one that uh, previous guest, uh, Nikki. Is it Nikki, right? Yeah, yep. used to be in. And so, yeah, there was. Uh, yeah, practicing uncertainty. I don't know the song offhand, but there's another submission. And yeah, so there was that. Uh, also, Kel, the Norwegian correspondent who writes in uh, frequently with great, great stuff, sent a link, um, which is a bit old, not, a, not old, old, but, you know, six, seven years old now. And it is in reference to a Flying Nun Records documentary. But it is a listenable, um, streaming listenable, uh, however you want to say it. Dare like I say a podcast pod- doc. Like a podcast, essentially. And it's a 
five-parter, but it goes through the whole the whole journey, I guess. And uh, he sent it in and sent the link in. So I'm going to. Well, your brother's already seen it, but I'm going to try and uh, remind him to put that up yeah. on the uh, Facebook or what have you because it's super cool. And of course, uh, we know that you're a big fan, Damien. I don't know a ton of flying nun stuff, but the stuff I do know is very good. Um, so anyway, thank you for I sending would, that. I would say Flying Nun, you know, might have the greatest back catalog of any label ever. It's incredible some of the stuff they put out. Like for New Zealand, yeah. like they documented an unbelievably prolific scene, and yeah, just I don't know. It's a label based at a Christchurch that just put out some of the greatest music ever, in my opinion. Yeah. And you have a Flying Nun record shirt. Yeah, I wear it proudly. That's one of my favorite shirts. I wore it yesterday. Nice. Gets in weird looks. Outside of New Zealand, <laughs> Flying Nun does not translate to as many people. All right. <laughs> I'm in a very Catholic neighborhood. Yeah. They Next, get weird sorry. by that. <laughs> Fair enough. Next email is another really quick one. Is another BYO submission for the Split series which uh, is written by Caleb. Sorry, last person who wrote in that Hardcore Love Sounds was Diego. I don't know if I shouted that out, but there you go. Thanks. Mm -hmm. uh, Caleb writes in with a submission for The Split, Idea, and White Lung and Dead Kennedys is the uh, is the submission. I, I can so, hear it too. Like, uh, you know, kind of like predominant vocals, like interesting guitar parts. Uh, yeah, I could I could definitely hear that. That'd be cool. <laughs> I'm saying with Jello, oh. not with uh, you know. I don't know. I haven't heard of the modern Dick Candies. I haven't seen them live yet. Maybe maybe it's different enough that it would be it could work. <laughs> we'll see. And we have another message here from Taylor regarding uh, the Our Lady Peace content. Oh, that band's now come episode. twice on this episode. Yeah. He just mentions that uh, he's at, uh, basically writing in to say that Our Lady Peace are known outside of Canada as he has a friend who lives in a border city of Detroit and is a big Our Lady Peace fan, but does also possibly chalk it up to being that it's right beside Windsor and therefore perhaps that's how his friend and or people in that geographical region are hearing it. Yes, I would and, say border uh, towns don't count because there's always like... I'll be watching Buffalo TV and be like, how is that Canadian pop band popular in America? And then I'll be like, oh, yeah, Buffalo. They get our radio. <laughs> yes. And there's another one here. Next message from Steve. This is regarding Jerry A content as well. It says the episode is great. And regarding the tour mentioned by Jerry, that is, in the episode – um, he says that there's a suburban voice issue. I, he doesn't know which number. Now, this is where to our listeners who are deep heads, if you know it, uh, definitely write in if you can and uh, shout out which actual um, issue it is. But um, published by uh, Poison Idea, there's like a tour diary in it. It believes it's from 1990. It's almost likely the same tour. Said that the diary is amazing and recalls it being equally astonishing by the love and knowledge of each city's musical legacy as their uh, <laughs> prodigious partying exploits are concerned. And uh, he 
doesn't still have it, but he just wanted to uh, reference that it is out there for those who want to sleuth and find it. So, yeah, uh, there we go. Would I'm going to put this out there. Would Poison Idea be, like, the most punk literate band? <laughs> Maybe uh, Ian Kai. I don't know. I don't know what you, what your criteria. Like just like, like they just like like look at the cover of record collectors or pretentious assholes, and like yeah, and they're 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 into shit that took people years to get into. Oh, sorry, I misunderstood what you were saying. I thought you were saying like that they were you know well literate, of course, but like I don't know more literate than other punk bands. But I get what you mean, like more it, yeah, like just knew about punk, like you know, like yeah. like you saying like you know, knew about every city's legacy. Like you could talk to them about any, like who else could you talk to about the state children flexi from back then? Well, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm not Outside their age, but yeah, Outside. I think it, it is a great cover and there's, it's crazy. The records on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, well, the fact that it's, it's mentioned in that tour diary that they were writing from that perspective of like, the cities and their musical histories rather than just like, Oh, we played a show here, you know, something boring. That was that. So it is kind of cool. And it seemed like Jerry in the interview, you know, had, well, certainly had knowledge, but certainly was, yeah, still like that. They were even at the time were, were very cognizant of going to these places and what was there and what they were trying to find if they didn't encounter the people or whatever. So, yeah, I'm trying to find if there's like a, if there's like a record collection of pretentious assholes, Wikipedia. Yeah, let's see. There's a list of all the records on the cover. <laughs> nice. There's one last email, real quick, and uh, it's regarding the fake band names in TV and movies. And uh, we uh, basically are called out. It's from Demo by not mentioning the gourmet scum from the beloved Degrassi Junior High. Or Degrassi High, he writes here. I can't remember if it's Junior High or Degrassi High that that one was on. I'm trying to remember that one. Yeah, I do remember that, that name. And uh, anyway, he also wondered what they would sound like if they were actually putting out records. The fact that Spike was into them was pretty much a solid deal that they'd be decent. And uh, yeah, in saying that, on the resource, there is a gourmet scum split with 24-hour police autopsy, 7-inch. And now I need to know what they sound like. <laughs> it's cheap. Uh, less than four Aussie dollars, they write. Uh, I don't know of this. I'm assuming this is a band named after, of course, the... It's got to be. It's got to yeah, be. Like, yeah, like they wouldn't have, I don't know, that I'm aware of, they wouldn't have actually been real or had been made by the show in some capacity because as Damien and I both know, there definitely wasn't a big budget behind that to do something like that, especially then. Um but Probably anyway, Danny does cover the Zit Remedy song on uh, yeah. that compilation. Yeah, the Gourmet Scum one is where they're I – th- I think that's the one where – what is it? The acid-taking episode or something where there's someone like – something bad Oh, happened. yeah, where what's uh, Spike's baby's daddy yeah. falls. And it's, and I think that's where the band they're going to see, I think, if I remember sense. correctly. But yeah, I found this split on here, and it is strange. It's on a label called Anti-Masonic Party Time. It's the third release, and I can't seem to find a country of origin. Oh, it just says U.S., okay. Uh, But, yeah, bizarre. There are not many, and they're very cheap. 
there is no artwork on here for me to reference to see if the there's any nods. But yeah, anyway, that was it for the mailbag. All right. Well, I guess should we get on to this episode? Yeah, man. Whatever you want to get into, we got we got to go. Whoosh! Today we are going to be talking about one of the great episodes I think ever on this podcast, which is one of the great vocalists of all time in punk rock, Jerry A from the band Poison Idea and Gift. Uh, this kind of came about, I guess, Tristan, I owed this one to Tristan, Tristan reached out to him, uh, Jerry was into it, and yeah, it was amazing, it was the experience of a lifetime, uh, he even sent me a gift afterwards, you know, how cool is that? I just like to say that, uh, normally I don't do this, but I would like a shout out on this too, because when Poison Idea played Your Fair City, I told you to go. Well, I was away. <laughs> I was in a few. You were away. I was trying to coordinate that with you. Then this yeah. is pre-Tristan taking the uh, the reins. The, yeah. and he's done. He's done a great job. And I would. I would do the little, Dame. This is going down. Blah blah. So and so. And yeah. Yeah, Jerry so. was supposed to be one of the early ones. Hope we were hoping. Yeah. But unfortunately, because of uh, a family reunion, which not unfortunately, no family yeah, yeah. reunion. But uh, yeah, I did not get to go. To the show, and so I've only seen him one time. Do you see him on the show? Were you at that show? No, I didn't end up being able to make it, and I've still never seen him. I almost, I have a funny story though of in, I think it would have been either 2000, probably 2003, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I was in Portland, Oregon, and uh, we, uh, like, like Alexis were playing there, the band I was touring with, and they, um, they played an early show. Actually, we made sure to. It was early anyway, but we made sure to like ask to play earlier because myself and another member or two wanted to try and check out the show because uh, Poison Idea were playing in town with uh, Turbo that night, and it was at some tiny club. I cannot remember what the club was called, but anyway, we went. We tried to go in, and of course, it was sold out. In hindsight, you know, not having tickets and not really knowing anybody to like, you know, try and be cool guys and get listed or whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we I desperately just wanted to try and see, <laughs> well, both of course, but like Poison Idea mainly, and in that context, this was still, this was before um, they released, like again, two thousand three, I believe it was before they released Latest Will and Testament. Tom was still alive, and I believe playing with them still, and yeah, anyway, it was just amazing. It was kind of almost perfectly serendipitous that I almost caught them in Portland in that year with with turbo but it never came we went and it was sold out and we couldn't get in and it was a bummer but uh yeah so i came very close but never ever caught them but i, I think it would have been sick to see them in portland oh yeah and i remember my friend would, was gonna see them i tried to make my friend see them in 95 they played the game wow and uh, my friend was in san francisco at the time and i'm like you gotta go you gotta yeah. go and he's like i can't i can't i'm too scared <laughs> that's even funnier yeah so he didn't go but, I even remember there was a specific plea to just get it. Like, okay, if we can't get in, can we just go buy some things? <laughs> they wouldn't even let us in. They wouldn't that. even let you buy. No, because I was like, I don't know what poison. I was like, poison. He's probably got something. I want to. I want to get something. And I was like, ah, okay. Nah. Yeah. No, they. That, that's one of those things where, when you're on tour, sometimes, it's you're you're so close yet so far. Yeah. Very true. So yeah, it was. Uh, Everyone else who didn't want to go to the show was very relieved because they didn't have to sit in a van, you know, bored <laughs> for like whatever, an hour or two. Yeah. 
But uh, anyway, yeah, so that, there's a little anecdote. But no, I've never seen them. I, I don't know why I wasn't able to go to that Toronto show. Because, yeah, there was some reason I wasn't. But I definitely, I remember it happening. I remember people were there. I was, you know, I've always wanted to see them. But yeah, I, I don't know why I couldn't go. I can't remember that either. But anyway, awesome band. Yeah, amazing band. Uh, I'm, try, I'm still trying to find this <laughs> a list of all the records on the cover. I can see most of them. But not all. Yeah, there's, it's a tough one because there's like I have the actual record as so I'm do sure I, you. But I don't want to go dig it all out. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, it's the the yes at the bottom is what yes L A comp battalion of saints LP child molesters. What's behind this photo is difficult to make out the bottoms. Anyway, there's, yeah, the dick split, was the dickies, yeah, was youth brigade. Where's the fix? Did you say the fix is on here? I don't, I can't pick it out right now. No, not the fix. I don't see the fix. The misfits. What <laughs> oh, there might be the fix. The um, first misfit single is on there. What is that? The one uh, that's right under the P in Poison Idea is the. Is that the first single or the? Oh, the twelve inch. Beware twelve inch. Oh, that's the beware twelve inch. There we then, go. Uh, that's the devil. The lie LP, the angelic upstarts, and the adverts at the back. Yeah, there's some wild ones. The uh, Charles Manson lie. Yeah, there's some controversy in between devil. the N, the N, and the D between boys well, and look, the it's even it gets a little more controversial if you look under the A in asshole. <laughs> a in asshole. Oh yes, yeah. Right beside the United Mutations, which is not yeah. controversial. No. Not touching um, any of that. Anyway, uh, but yeah. It's just like a real crazy mix, like Cockney Rejects, like, yeah. you know, and like who in 84 in Portland, Oregon, was up on how sick the Antidote single was? <laughs> True. Actually, what's funny you mentioned that, just as you said that I'm picking out that's on the cover, I've never noticed that before. That's incredible. It's crazy, eh? It's like yeah. they were into like... You know, deep cuts as this shit was coming out. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, there's a certain type of punk music fan, like a hardcore fan or something, where you just want a deep dive. You want to find out about all the weirdest shit, the most obscure shit. And, like, I kind of, I'm not as deep as some people get. Like, believe me, there's some people that get deep. And I think these were the guys that got deep. Well, yes. To be fair, I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit in that regard, Damien, because you are. I'm not. <laughs> you, you are. Well, neither neither <laughs> of us, I think, get like as deep as like some people we've been in the presence well, of. But yes, like both you and I are nerdier than the average bear. Yes, like I think it's being very fair, though, if I'm to say this, and I, I don't think you know. Yes, I'm friends with you, and I, I obviously you're you're my dear friend, but. You know, like you're definitely in the one percent of the people that you know can hang with, like knowing the depths of some of this stuff. I'm not in that percentile. Too, I don't know. There's stuff you opinion. know that I don't know. We've been through this before, but yeah, let's. We can both admit that there's stuff that that Tom and and Jerry know that oh, we sure. could not even you're, imagine knowing. You're that, not off by saying that this very record and the cover on this record could illustrate that they perhaps were you know, the deepest heads of that era. I mean, it's... There's an Asian orange single under record, between underneath record and 
R. Yeah, I can see it now, the E in record, yeah. Yeah. See, there's funny ones that I didn't notice. Like, this is a great... You know what's actually funny, and I didn't notice this either? There are actually two copies of the Manson record. There's one on top of the amp, above the A in Poison Ivy. Oh, yeah, there's there's one right below the D. And I also just see Alice Bagg's face uh, looking up from under the T in the I in Pretentious. T, yep. The single, yeah, the Dangerous single. That's wild. See, there's all these things I'd never picked out before. I don't know why I've never looked at this record with a lot more, like, dedication in the cover yeah. of it. Because it's really sick. It's actually a really, the whole idea behind that record is great, too. And it's a great record. Like, musically, it's amazing. We've, we haven't mentioned the fact that there's also a Subhumans and a Rough record on the cover. Yeah. So and sad. the United Mutation. And, it, like, it's just... An Eater... There's two things I want to see people do. One, I want to see people break down every record that's on this cover. Yeah, I want to see like that in, list. in the nerdy internet. And the second thing is the relative worth of this cover collectively. Fuck, dude. Because it, like, it would be insane. That, that, that looks going to devil's like a $1,000 record now. Yeah. Oh, there's a few hitters on there. Like, a few thousand well, a few. It's there. like all hitters. But like, yeah. Um, yeah, amazing. Fatal Erection, Fatal Erection Records from, what, 84. Fantastic. Yeah. Everything about the record looks amazing, too. Yeah. The whole layout. Yeah. It's got a little Elvis head that says the king on the back, and then it's got the deadly center labels that look amazing. The whole yeah. record is dope. Yeah, it's great. Thankfully, I was able to procure an original some probably 10 years ago now, and I'm very grateful for that. It's Same. been reissued since, but yeah, it's it's a great record. Yeah, one of the, one of the all-time best punk records. Yeah, and a great. They've got a lot of those. Like that's the thing yeah. about this band. Yeah, great though. But like even the title, amazing, absolute yeah. amazing album title, and and perfectly. <laughs> I I thought my the most funny part is I thought when you broached that idea of that the title of that record and why it was said you know made that and what you know when they started to, or when he started to notice that that was like such a thing. I thought it was going to be directed. You know, he was going to have some anecdote about there was some person X, Y, or Z that they, you know, had a problem with. And this was like a jab at them. But meanwhile, he said it was more or less about them and Tom <laughs> themselves. Yeah. Which I didn't expect, but it was equally amusing. Yeah, no, it, it, it's definitely, uh, I don't know. Like there's just so much stuff in this that I was, I was finding out like, you know, the, like stuff I kind of knew about, like I, I kind of knew that was Tom's records there, but I was like, I wonder if there were any of his records in there too. Yeah, but man, it was it was such a fun interview get, to get to do. Yeah, like what you know, it could have been like five hours long too. Oh, it could have been five hours long. Was, yeah, if I didn't go, and if I didn't have to go pick up my kids, my God, that poor man would have still been on the phone. <laughs> uh, so what? What is the next point? Since we flogged, let's dive in record collectors to death here. But like, what do you want to get to? Uh, I think uh, um, I think Alice Cooper as right. the first artist that really connected with them. Um, given like, you know, uh, and once again, I saw them more recently, so I didn't get to see them back in the day, but if you watch any like unbelievable video footage of them that's out there from back in the day, it, it seems like this shock of Alice Cooper must have had a scarring effect on Jerry that comes out in his performance. I guess. I've never thought about that connection, personally. I mean, it makes the blood is what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that era of Cooper and that the blood thing and the gore, yeah. Uh, I don't know. 
it is like I don't know. I, I both of the references he mentions the early ones, which is Cooper and then the Kiss mention, which just sounds like Kiss in particular sounds like something just of the era of a person of that age. That yeah. of course it was like something in the you know in the air. Having said that, that Kiss record is great, and those early Kiss records are great. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like I've never thought about that connection. I don't really hear a lot. Maybe performance-wise, a little bit, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's see. It's hard for me to contextualize that because you got to think. You know, I'm thinking of things apart from Poison Idea, so those are things that I feel are inspired by, like a Poison Idea antic or a, you know, whatever. Which is, you know, you can trace that down the line by these extreme performers in some regard that like bleed or you know mutilate themselves or whatever, and we all know kind of the names, but. I've never thought about Alice Cooper as like a as the you know perhaps the catalyst for even the earliest ones. Obviously, Iggy probably still gets the nod above Alice Cooper, I would assume. Yeah, but, I think it was like worked right. Like obviously, what Alice Cooper was doing compared to oh, what yeah, Iggy yeah. was doing. Yeah, but I still think like the blood, the the violence, like the the shock of it must have had some sort of an impact. I would think, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that it couldn't. I don't know where that comes from. But at the same time, you know, I don't know. You, you've you been the person who's been, uh, like, where did where did that first occur to you when that was happening? Uh, when you, when idea. you were doing it. Pro, poison idea and pro wrestling. <laughs> exactly. That so was what I was kind of inspired by. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's, I guess. I just on. thought, here, let me pull out, though. I got pajama party, or I'll just, actually, I don't even need to pull it out. I have it on cue but oh no i do have it right here nice i just want to see if they cover cooper on this i can't remember if they cover cooper on this because that would make it even more interesting and no they don't anyway i, I was just did. trying are to they figure... on any alice cooper tribute comps i thought they're are they on the alice cooper tribute no maybe they're not on that seven inch i don't know let me see here. I don't know, but either way, I just thought that's a funny thing I never thought to look in based on what you had just proposed. Yeah. But uh, it's not, they don't cover any on that record, which is kind of funny now to think, because there are some pretty classic, like, <laughs> pretty classic choices on that record oh, yeah. of covers. Although they're they're great, yeah, they definitely don't. Like the fact that Degree Onions is like it's so good, but um, and they do. We got the beat, you know. Like they they definitely yeah. had a sense of humor the whole way through. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, yeah. So no no Cooper on that record. I just wanted to double check on that. But um, yeah, I don't know about any Cooper tribute things that would have been on though either. I'm not sure. Yeah, like I wonder. I'm just sorry. Now I've got the pajama party. Uh, track list up and I'm looking at it this was just like a compilation right of other stuff they had recorded elsewhere yeah I guess it's actually all covers but I don't know where they had thrown them originally all of them but yeah Yeah. like MC5 New York Dolls uh, Jimmy Cliff obviously Jimmy Cliff of course (laughs) Motorhead damned but then like Prince and like weird yeah like it's just it's all over the map, but it's it's a good it's actually a good record, 
and it's not it's not one of those things that's like oh all this stuff sounds like a punk band covering this it's like kind of terrible but you know no it's it's actually good if you like poison idea it's it's great and they're missing their uh gizm cover on this yeah, weirdly enough, they didn't include that along. With this. I think it was after. I think they recorded that came in after, right? This is '92, but I don't know. Yeah, again, we must burn's '93. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, that's why they were like, "Okay, we got another hot cover for the." It's gonna set the world on fire. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, no one would have known Gizem at that point. Like you would have had to have been like the deepest head. Actually, by that yeah. point, probably people were beginning, I guess, to get on board, but. Still, it's not like, you know, today where you just look on YouTube. Yeah. No, definitely not. That's such a cool record, too. Anyway, we, anyway, um, just We Must Burn, sorry. Got lost in the moment there looking at it. Um, <clears throat> I, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, even We Must Burn, which is like, uh, isn't the record that, you know, some of the records before were, and, and even some of the records after were. It's still not bad. No. No, I like this record. For me, probably the most potent things are the ones like everything, like the blank blackout and earlier, but I do like We Must Burn quite a bit as well. And I think the only one I don't really know that well, weirdly enough, is Pig's Last Stand. I don't know this record. Oh, this That's is a actually, live one. Is it? Oh, okay. Never mind. That makes sense. Cool cover on this record. Yeah, it's a sub pop record, too. It's like they're, I think yeah. they're only sub pop, like non-single right because they have the yeah. single yeah which is also cool and i don't own that i need to own that but um yeah you're right it is live cool this track listing is deadly yeah plastic bomb is the opening Ooh, nice um dude and look at the covers they do on this yeah another gizm cover bell lugosi's <laughs> dead yeah. let's creek bob and, and a wipers cover but that one's also on the pajama party. Well, it's all, it's from the Tim Kerr box set. Mm, gotcha. the, that, I mean, the Tim Kerr, Greg Sage tribute box set. Yeah. yeah. But man, look at that. Not a bad record. I think that in, relationship with sub pops really interesting to me. Anything of this era from the Pacific Northwest, I find very, very interesting. Um, even down to his little anecdote about like talking to the Melvins about, Kurt Cobain painting yes. the rock and roll over on the side of the van and then like him just like, you know, not knowing who Kurt was or whatever. Yeah. It was before Kurt Cobain, I guess it was the Kurt Cobain as we know it now. But um yeah, like that whole I don't know, that whole area of the world in this era for me is like really intriguing. Not from like a, you know, oh I wish I was there for grunge or something. I just mean like it's it's the it's always like the poison idea in the mix. It's always like, what did these bands think of poison idea? Did they play with poison idea? You know yeah. that kind of yeah. thing. Like that's always like there's these weird little, like the crossovers of like how which bands like you know did they know? Even when they were saying like you were talking about the Melvins asking when the Melvins moved south, and he was like, oh, we used to play with them all the time in Seattle. Like I can't even like. It makes sense on some level, but I couldn't imagine seeing the Melvins and Poison Idea on the same bill. I think it'd be so weird, but it'd be so cool. Yeah, and it may, I guess back then it made complete sense, right? Like, yeah, I guess it's just it's just now I can't think of it that way because it's so far removed and yeah, you have I mean, so it's much too stuff. Good. Yeah, and you're just like, how? Like, yeah. So, well, that's the thing about Poison Idea. Like, you know, it's 
they're existing at the exact same time Nirvana's happening. Uh, but they're also the band that kind of like exists at the same time that Minor Threat's happening. Totally. What's always thrown me off, like early when I was getting like into this band or when I first heard of the the group, like in in the early nineties, I was always thrown off by their image, you know, which is superficial, of course, to say, but it's true. Like I, I just they didn't it didn't look like their records looked. They, it didn't look like they would be raging punk records. Like not, I didn't see pick your king first or i didn't see kings of punk but like even seeing just promo photos i can't remember it was in whatever maybe thrasher some magazine but it probably was we must burn era stuff but you know they're they're like you know the long hair pacific northwest vibe they're all burly dudes and it just i don't know didn't look look more like a metal band so i just thought you know okay well and i never really paid a lot of mind to it till a little later but Again, if I had seen the cover of Kings of Punk as my first, like, oh, this, like, okay, I got to hear this record. Like, that cover is amazing. My first exposure and, to it was definitely from uh, that scene in uh, 1991, the year Punk broke, where Thurston Moore's flipping through records and he pulls mm-hmm. up the Kings of Punk LP. Ah, okay. And they do a yep. zoom in on it. And I yep. remember thinking, like, oh my God, this guy's got his stomach carved up. And I think yep. that was before I'd seen the Slayer thing. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, well, that I mean, covers way before, yeah. Yeah. So. And I was like, "Oh my god, that's insane!" Then he carves some shit in his stomach, and yep. then I think it was seeing that image of Pig Champion from the poster from that record on Simon Harvey's wall, and him being like, "This is this amazing band," and then him playing me discontent and being like, "Holy fuck!" That's a great single and uh which i'd only recently acquired within the last few years but one i'd always wanted yeah but it was just one of those ones that was never like a lot of money so it was never a huge priority and i i actually got lucky because i dug and got it just digging and it's uh, funny because like you don't think of them as a sing. well at least sorry i don't think of them as a singles band yeah no me either but then you go through their singles and you're like they do they have good ones they got some fucking killer singles Yeah. yeah yeah And it, but it's I even remember I scored Punish Me on on uh again, not a single that's a lot of money even, but I scored the seven inch version of that, uh just randomly on the road. I think it was yeah, like in New York. And I was just psyched. And it cost me like five bucks or something. I was like, This is great. Yeah. And again, like weird, like classic nineties cover art. Just like yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go is on. that a coop drawing or no, is it I don't know. I was trying to find out. I'm looking now because it does look like it could be. No, it's an art and graphics by Chris Warner. I don't know who oh, that Chris is Warner. offhand, but but yeah, it's a cool looking record. And again, it's like one of those things that first. I think what it is is now in hindsight, I look back on like kind of the whole package of this group, like aesthetically and everything, and it makes sense to me. But when I first was encountering any of this stuff, when I wasn't seeing again like the Pick Your King single, even record collectors or that. You know, I'm seeing this kind of like that sub pop adjacent in the sub pop adjacent years. And just aesthetically, it just didn't seem it's actually very funny because they're not similar groups to me, but similarly, you know, uh, not as classifiable as some other groups would be. But like something like anti scene or something Mm -hmm. that just aesthetically don't have like that. You know, even even to a degree that like black and white Xerox thing, 
that you know you associate with a lot of like punk or meat and potatoes raging american hardcore or something and yeah, it doesn't look like well they don't look like you know like what you were i guess conditioned to think a hardcore band was going to look like sure exactly yeah like they don't look like black flag did in uh in decline Exactly, or like you know, just any of yeah, any of like the the youth crew era things, or, or yeah, stuff. yeah, or, yeah. Or you know what I mean? Like Epifat type bands that were happening at the time, where like these guys were like big, you know, like chubby dudes. Well, I think it was some of it too. Was the the idea was like I don't. I mean, of course, now I don't feel this way. I think it's it's a foolish way to look at anything. I don't. I wasn't biased against it. I just never went out of my way because it did. It again, it just looked like a group that didn't have something at the time, at least the stuff I was seeing that I'd want to be too invested in because it was something like, oh, okay, like yeah, I like a lot of metal bands, but I I know some metal. This is not a metal band I'm that familiar with, but it, I don't know. They're a punk band, I guess. I don't know. And yeah. now you know it's all that silly, and I would you know dig deeper, but. Um, but yeah, like now I love it even more. <laughs> I love that they were like an outlier, weird kind of outlier group in a way they were, you know, but those, those, I don't know. They're just, I, I love so many of these records. I can't, I cannot express enough, but, uh, what about, can we talk for a minute too about the cover of war all the time? The OG cover, not the, uh, the reissued one or whatever. What's the reissue cover for? The reissue cover has like, oh no, it just has. I thought maybe I'm convinced. Well, there's a CD cover. Maybe that's the one I'm thinking of, where it's just the band photo. Oh, is that like a? And this is a perfect example, right? So the, there's a CD version of of this. Oh, it's like a Japanese CD. Well, there's one from the UK. The Japanese might have the same cover. But the UK one's wild. Like the UK one has just like a band picture of them. Yeah. And again, but they just like, like, yeah. It's got like Pass Out King on Pig Champion shirt. Yeah, exactly. Dude, they and look like, like, and they're trying to make them look like Ugly Kid Joe in this photo. Exactly. And so it's like, that's the things you were seeing at first. Yeah. And so it didn't, you know, again, these little like, uh, these little cues, you, I don't know, I wasn't receiving. But, you know, had you played any of these records it was like okay yeah and even like even just again i just didn't see the proper records um but yeah like war all the time that cover looks amazing kings of punk obviously is a flawless cover feel the darkness is flawless classic one of maybe the on top of being one of the greatest punk records maybe one of the greatest punk record aesthetics ever mm-hmm. it's classic even though tommy tiny tim rules so even the uh the anticipation or whatever the intent behind this record I don't agree with but I wore this shirt the other day yeah and uh Lauren pointed out at a gas station how sketchy that shirt looks to people that don't get the reference or no poison idea <laughs> uh yeah it's great the band photo on the back of that cover that album is also the best we we did a parody of of that shirt too fucked up I didn't know you did. I know that I my one of my favorite fucked up moments was when you guys for Halloween dressed up as them. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we, we did a cover set that show too. You did, yeah. Um, but no, we did a, a a Tom Jones with a gun to his face parody when Tom Jones dissed us in the enemy. 
Really? Well, I didn't know he did. Wow, that's funny. Well, I just made fun of our record when he had to review it. So, you know. Oh, okay. There was even uh, and was it Burning Love did the same thing? Did a did a lift, but the, on the actual album, and it's of Rob Ford in yeah. place of Ty Tim. Yeah. For those not familiar, another local Toronto group, yes. um, featuring, of course, Rest the. In peace. Uh, yeah, I believe to, they're done, but yeah, not to Rob Ford. No, no. Well, yes, technically, but yeah. Yeah, like technically, um, but not really. <laughs> That's a good, uh, good, good deciphering that. I never thought of that when you were saying it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What point do we want to go on next? I feel like I'm just blathering on here, dude. There's straight. like so many places we can go. Um, let's move on to. Uh, I think negative trend being in rock scene is something that I think is really cool. Yeah, all of his little, uh, the way he's picking up on things that was really interesting, that I'd never, I don't, you know, the rock scene is not something I was ever familiar with, like in terms of, I don't remember it, at least back then, or that must have been a regional thing, I don't, we don't, I don't remember getting anything like that, do you? No, that it was, was definitely, was... no, rock scene's like a big American music magazine, but I think it was just like before our time. Because mm. I was always uh, thinking, it... like, there was those hair metal, like, kind of, Magazines. I just couldn't remember the names of them. Roxy might have gone into something like that a little later on. Yeah. Because I definitely, I am familiar with it. I'm now I'm just trying to look what the cover looks like. Yeah. Roxy Magazine. Yeah, it stopped publishing in 82. 82, okay, yeah. So that's way before our time. Yeah. Like, I, I was into music at, when I was, like, a kid like that age, so I was probably reading it, you know, but I'm just like on a different level. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds like that uh, best show skit. Exactly. Yeah. That's my, that, that is the high watermark for comedy for me. <laughs> um, another like, random. Looking at this magazine, it's like, wow, they wrote about negative trend. Yeah, that is weird. <laughs> when he's talking about that, though, I think you did have that kind of stuff where you did, you know, it wasn't as frequent, perhaps, but, you know, like, um, oh, these, co- okay, so I've seen these covers before, but I never, yeah, I definitely never had this. But I've definitely seen these in passing in recent times, like people, whatever, putting up older photos. I wonder what issue it is, because there's some wild, this is a cool looking magazine. Yeah. You know what? Actually, that's not true. I was looking at earlier ones, and they have a different, a little bit different aesthetic. I might have a rock scene because this does look familiar. Um, I might still have one of these. Yeah, it goes later. Yeah, I don't know why I would have one from the '80s. Maybe I got it from like a, a relative, like a nephew, like a cousin or whatever that was into like that stuff. Because this seems like it'd be way ahead of my time, but. Maybe you are you are the best show sketch. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. It's like I knew when I was buying it. I just mean like I would have been too – like if it ended in 82, unless someone else just ripped off their aesthetic and I have to like, – I'll have to look. I have a lot of old like magazines for whatever dumb reason kicking around. I'll try and find which one it is. But um, How do you store your old magazines? What's that? How do you store oh, your I just, old? They're random. Like, like they're just in like weird uh, – Good, like the good ones. I have like a storing, like a, I don't know what you'd call it, like a, this little cardboard, little like filing, like uh, a comic box, or like all oh, those like uh, the ones that IKEA did that are almost like uh, 
Yeah, but mine are just like cardboard. They're not yeah, mine are too for, special. Yeah, so it's like ones. the good zines and any like kind of crucial magazines, I have that. But I have just like piles of crap <laughs> that are just like not thrown out things that are packed away in boxes and stuff. And I'm sure I probably have old like what I thought in my mind were old like metal magazines. And primarily they probably are. But I feel like there's a rock scene in there at least or something that looks a lot like it if it's not it. But yeah, 73 82, that seems insane. There's like, I should not have any of this. Yeah. I don't know why I would have this. But these covers look really familiar. Like the the motif of them. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, them covering their trend is insane. I cannot imagine reading that when it came out. I'm wondering just like what, did they review it good? Like how? Yeah, I can't imagine like that would have been something that people got that weren't familiar with the scene. Yeah, that just doesn't seem like doesn't seem like the review would have been good, which makes it even funnier that he would have tried to see them. Yeah, <laughs> in some context. <laughs> what about also? What about when he went full like industrial, like like the industrial handbook vibe? Loved it. Loved that whole talk. Like I thought, like, like I was discussing with you, uh, like before we started recording. Like, there's a lot that he was mentioning that that was really cool. He's got really. I did not expect him to have diverse tastes for whatever bizarre reason, and it was it was very, uh, whatever. Not relieved. I was very impressed to hear that he liked, not just like meat and potatoes, raging punk, which would have been fine, but I liked that he was like. Even when he talks about like selling the leather jacket and getting it back because he was into like whatever, I thought that was just funny and cool. I think actually that's very of the era too. I think like again a bit before our time, but I remembered those kind of people. Like, oh yeah, there was probably a time where punk was dead. You know, yeah, like, yeah. It was like oh, this is this genre that people used to like. Yep. But now we're into you know cool new stuff like. Ska, rockabilly, and industrial. <laughs> yes, and you even have like what is it the the decline two vibe where like it turns like into bad or you know what I mean like that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of that, and based on how those dudes all looked, I think yeah, like you can you can see that there was a little bit of that in the whatever going around up there. Although the music arguably was not. I like that you tried to get to the heart of the wipers with them, by the way, too. Oh, well, like that, that to me was like kind of an essential like piece to about that West Coast sound. Like you hear Nirvana and then you hear the wipers and you're like, oh, that's where they get it from. It's not really from the Melvin sonically. It's from the wipers. Yeah, well, I think there's both. Actually, weirdly enough, I feel that every band that you just mentioned is very unique sonically, oddly enough, but. Yeah, I think there's a lot more indebted stylistically to the to the wipers and the Melvins. Yeah, I would agree there. I you maybe in the noisy elements of the late the like the very last Nirvana stuff to a degree, but yeah, I don't know. Wipers are such a great band. Again, a band I don't know every record of, but you know, like I just I thought it was pretty uh funny that you were trying to get to the heart of like if they were a band that wasn't was like a whatever an outsider group in locally or whatever well because they just like they don't fit in anywhere like sonically yeah i just i've always kind of thought they were one of those bands that 
you know, makes perfect sense now, but at the time would not have fit in with that sort of current of hardcore and definitely doesn't even fit in with that first wave of punk stuff. Like they're, they were on like a, a different trip, like a trip that like almost Mission of Burma was on. Yeah, I think that's a great comparison. I, I um, yeah, no, that's perfectly stated. Yet I, I don't. Again, both weirdly enough, although I've never gotten heavy into Mission, but I like that. Uh, I believe it's the first two Wipers records quite a bit. But yeah, it's I. I think there's just some groups of of like these eras that are slightly different by no means sonically are they similar but i would say like another group weirdly enough that got brought up in the last two or three episodes i can't remember whose maybe john reese's episode uh like something like the meat puppets even mm-hmm. or like just groups like that that are always in hindsight are, are the really interesting how they existed in this era because now even in like well you certainly know as still being in an active band how difficult it can be you know especially in any kind of DIY context, let alone starting one then when there isn't any, you know, precedent. Well, there's a safety in genre. Exactly. You know, like you can be pinpointed as being like, like something that's typified of a genre or, you know, or, or, you know, better yet, create your own genre that other bands follow. Like you can always kind of like exist in that world. And it's when you try and do anything that's not, in genre that's when you wind up kind of like alienating people yes and i think that your question was i I expected more of a yeah they you know whatever people were into them for a minute and then they just they they got off the train but i don't know like i yeah i don't know the other thing is you know sometimes an area produces a group and it's just it's beloved and that's that right yeah because i guess like because were dead moon actually from portland or no Yep. Yeah. I think so. Right? You got to like, figure there's he, definitely he moved some... up there at some point, yeah. but I think that was in the seventies. But I still think that that's, you know, there's another example of a group that, you know, existed in its own thing. Yeah. And is one of those other sort of classic, you know, well, outlier to a degree, but, you know, like, uh, <laughs> weirdly enough, like, you know, and you might understand that, like, you might laugh at this but also get what i mean like dead moon to me are like weirdly enough like it totally different sonically and even whatever politically so to speak but like they're like the american crass mm-hmm. <laughs> in the sense where it's like it's like it's unreal it, yeah. it's too it's too pure it doesn't make any sense they could do kind of whatever they want and it always works even if it doesn't work it still works if that makes sense yeah so it's just you know that I don't know what it is with that geographical region of the world, but there was some stuff going on <laughs> in these years that just yeah I don't know things worked. Well, he's just one of those talents, you know. Like he just, uh, you know, Fred. I was talking about right now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Tootie as well. Like you know, no, course, not yeah. taking anything away from Tootie, um, but that you know, like he did so many different bands that are all amazing. Yep. You know, Lollipop Shop, The Rats, even had a funk record. Well, yeah, and no, didn't he have, wasn't there something pre-Lollipop Shop, too? It was, like, solo, weird solo stuff? Because I thought he was, like, a... Uh... Yeah, he's, like, this record that's, like, uh, uh, Fourth Blue Monday. Okay. Wrong for me. That's, like, a solo single, I guess, from 69. Yeah. It's, like, a soul R&B song. 
Yeah. But either way, you know what I mean? What I'm trying to establish here with this, bringing that up, bringing up the dead moon is the American crass, which is my new, that's a Damien hot stuff. Damien style hot take that I yeah, just did. That is a Damien style hot um, take. But, um, you fucking lunatic. <laughs> but the, uh, what was I going to say? There's just something I think that in certain areas or certain cities works that wouldn't work anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And perhaps Burma is the example on the East Coast. And the wipers are the example on the Pacific Northwest. And I don't know what other, I'm sure there's a few other ones you could name here or there. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it other than that the wipers were simultaneously like way ahead of their time and also completely with their time. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder who would be from Canada. Whew, that would be a tough one. I mean, below. Well, to me, like the last, and we've talked about this before, the, the sort of more up the middle take on this, by no means is this band up the middle, but no means no. You know, yeah, where, you're right. You're right. No means no movie that probably be that kind of band. Where they're not, you know, they have those elements, but they're not always playing just up the middle and, yeah. and you know doing everything by, you know, by the, you know, the established rules or whatever. And I think it, and it worked somehow still. Yeah, and right. they're another group that lasted a long time, and their late records are very good as well. So, yeah, I mean, they, we've definitely given them a lot of love in the past, and perhaps not enough, but. Yeah, there's no means no, maybe, or I'm trying to think of. It's a tough one because these are the groups now that are the most interesting to me. I'd like to read more about these groups and how they existed because I think it would have been a really tough go for uh, for some of these in these certain eras, especially when like something like hardcore becomes such a thing or like you know these genres which maybe they don't get accepted in. Sorry, just sneezing. Hit, hit no me worries. for a second there. Um, no, I agree. Like, I think that was, you know, you kind of got chased out. And I guess that was the birth of alternative rock. Yeah. Because as yeah. things got more codified and it was like, okay, you have to fit into these parameters. It's like, okay, well, we're going to have to do our own thing now. You know, these bands that didn't fit in anymore with, like, what was becoming punk rock at that point. You know, like, think about Sonic Youth. Yeah, they're another great example, too. I think theirs is a little more uh, polarizing in the sense that they existed in a scene that was perhaps a little more diverse sonically, but and so therefore maybe some of their like their high art aspirations at times were a little more tolerable, rather than like kind of bringing that out of nowhere, you know, in some you know other city that doesn't have that kind of whatever association to those things, but. Um, yeah, they're a good example. Sonic Youth and Hindsight are, are a great example of this. Yeah. Um, I think for people like you and I, I think we came to them at an era where they were a lot more of like an established rock group. Yeah, rather they, than... they, they tell these stories in, I think, that, what is it, Confusionist Next Book? Yeah. About going to these shows and just kind of like not fitting in with what people were calling punk at that time. And you can kind of see there's like this, uh, you know, like this shift that happens. You hear about it everywhere. You know, the punk hardcore kind of divide. Well, I think it'd be weirder even for someone like, you know, like Dinosaur Jr. Because it's like those guys were in. You know what I mean? Like they make, a, you know, one of the top, you know, American hardcore records. <laughs> and then they end up creating another band. And I don't know if that was 
you know, I don't think anyone was maybe not bummed on it, but I don't think anybody like from the hardcore punk scene was like psyched on Dino Jr. Would be my guess. I think so. I think people were. I think like a lot of people were kind of hitting that point, right? Like, you know, they were getting to that age where they were aging out of of the scene. You know, like they wound up on Gerard's label right out of the bat. Right no, that's bat. true. Homestead, yeah, right. And he was their manager when they were in Deep Wound. That's right. <laughs> but either way, my point is, you are right on the age out. I I just think like there's any band like that's going to experience that sort of not fitting in thing because oh, yeah. it's, you know, it's not, it's not doing it. It's not exactly doing it as it is expected. And therefore, of course you're going to, you're going to catch some kind of, if not flack, just, you know, your reception might not be the, the smoothest or, or any reception at all. Mm-hmm. I think like, you know, poison idea, like we were talking about, they're kind of like another band that almost fits into this. For sure. I, the only thing I would say differently is that it, like every one of their records is a banger. <laughs> so, oh, absolutely. You know, so they never threw any is a banger. 100%. So they never threw any curveballs that are like, you know, people are like, what? You know, and then just get out of it. But they also like, like you were saying off the top, they didn't fit in with kind of like, you know, the classic kind of like, oh, this is the hardcore rules. You know, you look this way, you dress this way. Yes, I think. I think some of that, though, which uh, the Ian Mackay EP, things of that nature, where I think that some of the um, antagonism is was directed at the idea of, you know, part of the scene or whatever becoming, I don't know, like puritanical or something. Mm-hmm. And that's something clearly that they were not fond of. So you can see a bit of reactionary sort of things. I don't know if you know, because I believe we've de- dealt with that story of how that all came about in a previous episode, but way back, But which I don't know if it was exactly from them directly or the label at the time. I can't remember. But uh, the cover layout and all that. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't I don't. I think for me, it's like I think the bands like this are the most courageous because they just continue to exist even though they don't fit in yep. entirely. And I think those, these are the band. This is also why this band stands the test of time because they were unique and they were great and or are great. Pardon me, they're not done, but the, in the form that we are most classically associated with them, you know, of their era, yeah, they were you know untouchable, arguably, like sonically and and what they did and. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how to. Uh, I don't know. I'm just ranting. <laughs> no, but I, I hear what you're saying. Like they, you know, they are that good. You know that it's. Well, there's a reason why I listen to these records more than I listen to a lot of records that I, I like. You know what I mean by punk bands or hardcore bands, but they just don't intrigue me as much. Yeah, and it's just some of that is certain things uh, me aging with them. And it's, you know, there's a difference in like my feelings now, perhaps as opposed to, you know, 20 years ago. And there's also the idea that perhaps some of the stuff that they created is much more profound and it's, it does deserve a lot more attention than something that I could just easily understand within 10 seconds that no longer is as interesting, so to speak. Yeah. They're, they're a band that like, I can go back to, right? Like, they're a band that I've, yeah. I don't think I've overplayed, and the way that I've overplayed a lot of those kind of iconic, you know, first or second wave hardcore bands. Yeah. For me, Agreed. I think I've overplayed them. I want to revisit these mid period records again. 
Like I pretty much want to do like a month where all I listen to is like Black Blank Out and like We yeah. Must Burn and Pig's Last or not Pig's Last Stand, pardon me. Uh, well, that would be good too, but Latest Will even. Uh, latest Will I have. I just I haven't listened to it a lot, but it's not bad. Yeah, I think I remember um, when I came out and being like, holy fuck, this is actually really good. Yep. Like it's once again, yep. like I can stand by that with this band. I do a lot of yep. backpedaling on on my absolute opinions on the show. Yeah. But you know, they were never bad, you know, and they went through a lot, you know, a lot of member changes. Yep. Over the years. And still kind of retain that sound, retain that sort of everything. Agreed. Yep, totally. Um, okay, next point. What do we want to get to here? Let's see. I'm just trying to pick out one here. Let's go, because we talked about this pre on the show, and I want to just, we'll do a little tidbit. This is for the nerds, big time. But uh, the mention of Ice Nine, because upon listening, I was confused at first as to why he was mentioning Ice Nine. Yeah. Because I thought, this is a really bizarre reference. I have one of these <laughs> Ice Nine records, and why is the talking about Ice Nine? And I didn't realize there are two Ice Nines, at least two, and uh, one of which, the one that I had known the reference of, was not the one he was referencing, of course, but uh, the one that Damien so aptly pointed out to me was did the split with Charles Bonson, which is weirdly enough not the record I have. I have a record called Psychology and Extreme Violence from 96. Um, but again, I thought it's bizarre that this would be referenced. And I was wrong. It was not that Ice Nine. So let's have just a brief little shout out or clarification to people like myself of the Ice Nine of which you guys were discussing, Dame. If you want to just give a little shout out or whatever what the differentiation is. Apart from the obvious that it's not the same band, <laughs> yeah, they're 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 just like this killer Portland punk band, first wave uh, punk hardcore band that put out a awesome single uh, that is worth kind of tracking down. Goes for a little bit of money now. Looking on the yeah the between uh, yeah, it's, it's the resource has uh, yeah you're spending over over a hundred, let's just say all day long. Yeah, but. Um, the the single is called out, out out out, and actually I guess the differentiation is this is ice nine is the numeral, whereas the other one I was talking about is ice nine written n i n e. Yeah. Um, per, perhaps that's the differentiation, obviously in in name, but uh, from seventy nine. But yeah, I don't. Do you happen to have this name? Yeah, I did actually. I got this from Chris Corey in a trade. Wow. One time, um, I think for the together comp. Oh wow! Correctly, I got this in in another uh, Pusshead record, uh, one of the Pusshead compilations that he did. Um, but it, he had gotten this from, I believe, it was Amoeba, and it was just out in the bins for like <laughs> nice. next to nothing. Wow! And so he picked it up, and yeah, you know, I traded it for my. Uh, I, I at one point fancied myself. I'm going to be like, I'm going to be one of those Rev collectors that tries to get every version of the Rev record, and then you know realize quickly how futile that was, and uh, oh, traded yeah. some of my doubles. So this record here, there's an interesting tidbit I find upon reading on the resource here. It said third edition sleeves of this single, out out out. Some edition sleeves have discouraged records rubber stamps. Yeah. The rear, yeah, and it's almost impossible to tell the difference between the two. Yeah, 
but uh, this is uh, one that Chris Corey got authenticated from Discourage. Nice. So this is a second press, but I, I've never even seen one of these first press ones in person. Yeah, really cool. Uh, yeah, cool band, an amazing band. Uh, once again, one of those bands that I don't. Think, I don't think this has been reissued. Like, sure, there's no mention. There's thing. no mention on the. Uh, no mention on the whatever the resource other than just saying that there's second and third editions but i don't know really what that means i don't think it sounds like it's just all the sleeves and there was recently a fantastic uh little zine put out about the history of ice nine um like where where was that i saw it on instagram someone did it uh you know ice nine zine hmm hmm yeah, I'm not really getting anything. <laughs> Either way, I but just anyway, wanted to. Uh, I wanted to mention that just because when I actually I shouldn't say this because they do write ice nine and and nine numeral, so I guess it goes back and forth. But, um, but yeah. Anyway, when I was listening, I just thought it was bizarre, and then I realized it was well. You pointed out that it was not the same group, which I should have understood immediately based on the years <laughs> that I was referencing bands from. But unless they were anyway. the first time traveling hardcore band. <laughs> true yeah <laughs> we've come from the future to play you power violence I like the idea of a group not releasing a single from 79 up until 96 <laughs> I think that would <laughs> well visual discrimination had like a, a big pause too <laughs> that's like 17 years yes. that's pretty yeah. insane <laughs> we didn't feel motivated until 17 no, years no. later yeah we finally felt like we had to address some issues in the scene. <laughs> I think perhaps what the only group to possibly do that, because I believe they reformed in some capacity, despite, I believe, late members, is that death group. Which band? Death, the Detroit Death. Oh, yeah, and also the Hot Nasties just put out a new single. Okay, wow. On Ugly Pop, the aforementioned Simon Harvey's label. Yeah. So there. But how long was the last of theirs? Seventy nine. Really? Eighty or eighty one? Maybe. You sure they didn't do anything in between? No. You are correct. Wow. Yep. Eighty to twenty eighteen. Okay, so they beat my uh, beat my mention. Yeah, they they're uh, like thirty seven years, thirty eight years. That's wild. <laughs> I think they lost some members, so I think that's what was inspired them to get back together. Yeah, gotcha. So, um, but there, uh, so pick that up, you know. Yes. What uh, don't what agree with Nate Singer's marijuana policies though at all, <laughs> or the guy who runs a label for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about what you're speaking. Well, they're pretty of, vocal. So like, look, look, give, check out their social media for a minute. I'm sure they'll let you know. <laughs> okay, opinions. I don't know. I don't. I get okay. So I'm assuming they're not uh, as as enthusiastic as you are about marijuana. No, that's what you're no, saying. they fall gotcha. somewhere. I would say on the other side of you, Chris, because you are, you know, <laughs> not a not a partaker, not a partaker. But uh, you you are, uh, you you know, you're someone who understands its place in some people's lives. Sure. Yeah. I, I'm in. For me, I'm I'm like a, I'm a very. Uh, weirdly easygoing in terms of like well if it's your thing go ahead you knew, <laughs> I, you knew me as a freak before this you know how weird i was yeah 
I've known I know a lot of weird people from a lot of weird positions in life, both uh, medicated or not, or you know, however you want to say it, sober or not. So, you know, I, I don't judge in that regard, really, unless uh, I don't like you anyway. Upon which I judge you, but I think this that's me that's down to myself. To, yeah, this, <laughs> I think for me, you know, it's it's brought me to a, a more a more uh, reasonable place. I was pretty unreasonable at times, Chris. You've always been an interesting character, Dame. I don't. Uh, I liked you. I liked both versions, but yes, you <laughs> seem you seem more of a whole, a whole genuine human being in your current state. But I, I attribute a lot of that to you having three children and having a family and, and all of that as well. So I don't know what to 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 give too much credit to. I think that's just becoming like a you know a more fully functioning human being in the world that is contributing in a positive way. There yeah. you go. Yeah, I, I well, I, I appreciate that. I think it's my kids. And we eat a little bit, but definitely kids too. <laughs> yeah, but I think what it is, is like when you get in your position in life, you you start to, you have an investment in life that is, is beyond yourself. Yes. So therefore, you have to, and in a good way, it's not like you're, you're it's not like a, um, this is a funny discussion, by the way, but we'll continue. Um, it's not like you're – it's a, a compromise in the true sense where you feel it as a compromise, but you just – you just – you're uh, – you know, the, you, it's things you love. So you have to change certain things about what you're doing or, or what you are focused on. And I think, it, be it intentional or not, you've done that over these years. So there you go. That's what I attribute it to. So I don't – I'm happy that you're happy doing all that other stuff too, but I th- I see it as that also. Chris, how do we get trapped on me on a jury episode? I don't know. Hey, we let's get, back, get going. Get back to this. Yeah, uh, get off here. So, uh, uh, where do we want to go? We got we got stolen base, industri- industrial band stolen, or the the whole uh, yeah stolen base from a church. Amazing, what great about, story. What about him? Finally. Putting to rest Canadian subhumans versus English subhumans. That was great. I mm-hmm. agree. I also agree. So we're unanimous on that. Um, Sorry, Smegma- Matt, Mike. Case closed. <laughs> the Smegma thing, I didn't aware, I wasn't aware that he had any involvement with that. That's great. I knew he played on a recording with them, but I was, yeah, yeah I had no idea that was auditioning with Do They Owe Us a Living. Yeah, great, great choice. Again. Is that the best crass song? Uh, probably. Yeah, for me too. It's a hell of a song. But uh, Did I ever tell you that we weren't allowed to play that on the BBC. The uh, the the business cover of it. I really no. Why? The the DJ got weirded out. It was like an why? American guy that wasn't even there, and they're like, "You can request any song." And Joe was like, "I want to hear Do They Owe Us a Living." And they were like, "We can't play that." <laughs> that's bizarre oh, weird yeah that is weird um as someone who's been in a band that has covered that song and it was it sort of uh gave a new life where people always then asked for it upon which we covered it i think once maybe twice yeah great song but yeah um yeah i know of that living in that moment <laughs> so auditioning with that is a funny Knowing how to play the bass on that—it's a funny, funny addition that you would choose that song. Although it does have a little bit of moments in it, I guess. Does it really? Because it would be, I the flex it would be, song. Yeah, it does. If you, 
No, it's got the two notes, but then it's got like a, when it's like the Do I Always Live, it's got like like you can do a little little Matt Freeman or whatever. Yeah, Matt Freeman. Yeah. If you want, if you want. Yeah, it's got a little, it's got some changes. Um, so what, okay, so this is one thing I wanted clarity on because for some reason I got lost in this. I'm just reading this now. So the Imperialist Pigs, uh, which I would like to mention. And so Imperialist Pigs was Tom's band before? Yes. Because I have that single, but so Jerry wasn't in it. No. In any form. And then it just becomes Poison Idea, essentially. They merged the two bands together. Ah. I don't know why I missed that in the interview. Must have been sidetracked when that came up. Or if it was just a little mention. I think that it's single, a mention. That single is great, by the way. A fantastic single. Was reissued, I think. Is technically the term for it. Or did it ever really come out? I don't think it ever came out. I don't even think it was even a tape when it came out before. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm having trouble finding it for some dumb reason. The, on the, the Imperialist Pigs, it comes up. Yeah. You go to Pig Champion. Yeah, there we go. Found it. It's called Corkscrew Pork Sword. What a name. But yeah, in 2007, released by Fatal Erection again, the aforementioned. Yeah. And uh, it's a very cool record. If you like raging first wave American hardcore, and it's very much in line with like the Pick Your King era of Poison Idea, if you will. But again, predates. Um, yeah, great, great, great. Uh, recorded, we- oh, wow. In Vancouver, Washington, and Eugene, Oregon. I thought the mentions about Eugene were very interesting. The fact that he's from Eugene, I thought was was neat. I didn't think that would be a thing either. I thought it was going to be a strictly Portland thing. I think I knew he was from Eugene because that's he put up, they put up that band Osgood Slaughter. Mm. You know that was from Eugene. That's okay. I, I don't know the Eugene bands to be honest, but I'll take your word. Okay. I'm trying to remember. Is it the Osgood Slaughter? Have we done a deep dive on Fatal Erection and? American Leather? We've not. Let's do a little bit here. So Fail Erection, which has a pretty insane... And that's not their label. No, it's run by... uh, What is Malcolm? Malcolm. his name. Steven says in the resource. Uh, And, yeah, so... And Pig Champion. Pig Champion started with them. Oh, sorry. It does say both. Correct. Okay. But... uh, when I remember dealing with this was, was Malcolm and he, um, yeah, but he, he, so he was still doing at this time, last I, I had any interaction was he was doing that Imperialist Pig single. And, uh, so I guess sadly enough, that was 11 years ago now. That's crazy. But, um, yeah, cool, cool label. I've always like the label is to me, this label in specific, cause it's, it doesn't have a huge catalog and it's got a strange, movements so the the one that's the most interesting that like peaked my radar apart from obviously the, the the poison stuff was the they did that turbo negro flying crap split yep which of course is just like bizarre now in hindsight what about the but, first uh, accused record yeah that too and also like a glucifer record later yeah which is also crazy a single but um yeah i don't know it's just it's a cool label. Drinking is great. Comp is unreal too. I don't own it, but fantastic. Um, I was just looking here. I thought they released the Lockjaw record, but they didn't. No, Lockjaw was self-released, right? 
I don't know. I'd, so I, for some reason, I thought it was on this label, but it's not. So there we go. I'll look it up right now. The A13 single is fucking awesome, too. That, I've never heard that still. Oh, really? But yeah, you're right. First, uh, Lockjaw is its own. Actually, both singles are self-released. The album is on uh, Antidodo. Oh, that's a new record. Never mind. It's from 2016. But the original era. Uh, yeah. But no, I haven't heard that E13. It's fantastic. Um, and like, what? Yeah, I guess like, I probably thought Lockjaw was on this label because of the comp. Yeah, I think that's where my brain was going there. Just like to point out for those of you who are following on the resource, like mega nerds, if you listen to the show, uh, it is funny that the E13 record also has a wrestling still as the cover of the Seven Inch and Damien loves it. Go figure. I, I had that single though before I fell in love with wrestling again. Yes, I know. I'm just laughing. <laughs> just pointing that out. Uh, also, that final warning record is awesome as well. Yes, from '84. Fant- fantastic record. And has one of the great sort of now overused aesthetics, but the cover of that record is, is perfectly simplistic and looks like all black metal records started to look 10 yeah. years later. Yeah. They were like the kind of the band that I think pioneered that aesthetic. Yeah. Cause they're really using like that weird, it's not, I don't know what specific typeface, but it's like a weird, yeah, you'll see it if you know it. Anyway, the seven inch is great. I remember Pete having this in his store here and I, did not pull the trigger on it, and I wish I had. I think and that's now, where I, I must have gotten that copy. Yeah. I, I got my copy of Pete. It's not a huge money record, thank goodness. No. But it's, it's enough. It's funny, because the E13 is so much... It's like, that's the big money record on that label. Yeah, it is. Um, apart from the Poison Idea stuff, obviously. Yeah. And the Turbo Negro, that record, I still want that 10-inch so badly. You don't have that? Nope. That's not that big of a money record, but yeah. It's big enough, and it just doesn't show up. You're right. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to get a copy, but yeah. I, the thing I think is cool about this is it has an OB strip, which is like pointless, but it's just cool looking on it. For the record nerds out there who pay attention. Yeah. But I mean, it's it, for me, you know, no, no uh, disrespect, but it's very much like a one-sided record in my mind. I don't tend to listen to the flying crap side all that much. Let's do a flying crap. I don't know much about this band, but I just wasn't moved by... Uh, stuff on the uh that regular even from it doesn't tend to say where that i can see they look european not to generalize but they look maybe german norwegian or i'm my thought is that they were another norwegian band yeah, they but must I'm be not, norwegian, not yeah. positive weirdly enough on a on a uh full length they did in 95 they covered the undertones and Krongen. So, man, they got sick covers too. Yeah, but the their their uh, side of that ten inch, I was not moved by, even though they cover Search and Destroy. Even uh, it's just not nothing jumped out at me about it. I'd have to re-listen to it though. Well, as we've discussed on this show before, splits tend to be a one-sided affair. It's true. Weirdly enough, though, and I just thought of this now, this might be the greatest collection of turbo songs in one spot because it's just it's all it's all bangers like it's so that's maybe why that this is such a one-sided record on top of holy it. fuck yeah it's that really might be good. like the best song is that all off uh ask cobra 
Death Time definitely is. Down to, yeah. Midnight Nambla. Midnight Nambla. Yeah, I think it all is. But I think this recording is not the same. No, I know. Yeah. I think those are like maybe the four best songs on that record. Yeah. Well, for me, the only one that's missing is Hobbit Motherfuckers, which is amazing. Yeah. It's my favorite turbo song. But yeah. Um, yeah. Death Time is one of the unsung like raging songs that no one will credit in 2018 probably, but it's fantastic yeah. for those of you who can bear uh, listening to Turbo in this context. But yeah, like um, As Cobra, phenomenal record as well. But yeah, the split's cool, but I find it to be a one-sided split from my experience. It's amazing that Osgood Slaughter is the last record that comes out in the first run. And then the label starts up again, um, you know, like, what is it, eight years later? Yeah. Uh, to do the Fatal Erection record, the the Turbo record, and this E13 record, the Glutesfer record, then goes dormant for about ten years, and yeah. then does the Imperialist Pigs. Yeah, that seemed to be like a you know an homage, because that came out just after he'd passed. Yeah, that's but true. That was the, the impetus for that. The, uh, I've still never heard this Fatal Action record. Dude, I want to get this Dude. fucking Glucifer record. <laughs> have you? Do you have this Fatal Action? Have you heard it? Uh, the Fatal Action single? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Like That's, just, that's the dude from E13. Single. Yeah, but it's just like with friggin' Everyone Slayer, else. Slayer, Hippie, Pig, and yeah, that's wild. Yeah. I gotta hear that. Cool. Anyway, yeah. Well, this group, I didn't know Osgood Slaughter was also E13 people. So E13 must have been from Eugene as well. Is that what E stands for? Oh, maybe, actually. Yeah. They've got a anybody, website. Anybody who knows uh, these answers, if you're deep Pacific Northwest, specifically Portland, no. Eugene-centric, hit us up, footnotes at gmail.com for clarity on any of these issues. Dude, Please. actually, their name was E13. And then I think they just changed it to E13. Oh, okay. I'm on their webpage right now. <laughs> the site is called Exploit Systems. Oh, but then it's also the Eugene 13 is also. There we go. See? Yeah. Either way. So, oh. Very cool. Yeah, go to the resource. There's a link to this webpage that I'm reading now. Uh, Chris, I will now read this webpage to myself quietly. <laughs> and you can uh, wrap up the show. <laughs> uh, I think, though, we are getting towards the end of the show. Yeah, I don't like... We could talk about the Japanese stories, which are incredible, and yes. uh, don't even yeah. really need They're to the be said. The craziest Sukevi story ever? On, yeah, on great. The show. I just like the idea of someone having the audacity to do that to anybody, Damn. let alone in that case. Damn. Um, it's like stepping on Superman's cape. <laughs> I like the idea that the mentors, when he says the mentors were bad, and you're like, well, they were, he's like, no, no, they were really bad. <laughs> that was also very funny. Um, I wonder how bad a bad mentors would have been. Oh, my. Train wreck. Like, Train yeah, wreck yeah. central. Yeah. Um, trying to think if there's anything else that we didn't touch on that he touches on that I thought was really funny or some little tidbits. Saying that the germs could actually play, I also agree. I like the idea of that being like fans saying they can't play, but they actually can. I think the fixed story, if we want to talk about anything, you had always you had always mentioned 
you had mentioned in uh, in in an urban legend about that fix record Mm -hmm. and Poison Idea's involvement, or specifically, more importantly, Tom's obsession with it in relation to Poison Idea. Uh, And I had always thought that sounds like the coolest story ever, but it also sounds like you know, like an urban legend. I'm not sure how you know accurate that is. The because the initial tale I heard from you was that they scheduled their tour around where no i had always heard that he scheduled a road trip oh, okay i thought i thought it was a tour that they had done was was picked dates around where i believe it was where the fix had played or something yeah, so the like idea he, was i had heard that he had picked a made a like a road trip to all these places fix had played on that tour gotcha okay looking for the record in so, stores is what i actually heard the story i heard yeah so to have it clar- clarified by jerry that it was in fact where they were playing and he was going directly to those places and getting the, their promo stuff they sent is as brilliant, actually totally brilliant move in hindsight, especially, but also like who would have thought like, I don't know, like maybe I'm just not that person, but you know, I, I wasn't like hitting up every store or every single person that potentially would have had a, uh, I don't even know, like a fucking fast break record on Stanhard Records? I agree. More impro- I'd say like Floor Punch would probably be a better... Like Floor Punch on Gold, you mean? Yeah, just like when that came out, just trying to like, you know, they played here. Okay, did they, you know, did they come by with records to some DIY store or something? But, uh... But I think even then, like, that stuff, people had a value attached to it at that point already. True. So that's also not correct. You're right. So the fast break is more appropriate. Yeah. I don't know, yeah, but then once again, like, no just on fast break. <laughs> yeah, no, no shade being thrown. I'm just, yeah, yeah. Don't know if they've right. aged as well, well. Floor punch on goal was hype out of the gate, no matter what. Yeah, yeah. People were like freaking out for that record. Like same with like a judge on yes, you know, chunking. Exactly. But so yeah, so I don't know. I think it's uh, you're right. I don't know of, of any fairly contemporary groups that I feel that I've ever felt that enthusiastic about <laughs> to uh, try and chase down <laughs> clubs they played to try and get promo stuff that they might have sent. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's dedication. Yeah, it's next level. And it speaks to the cover of Record Collectors Are Pretentious Assholes. Yeah, because that stuff would have been kind of new at that point. Oh, you know what? The one thing I didn't see on there is didn't they just have a White House record on there? On that cover of that record? I think um, I swore not that I ever remember, but again, I just unearthed things I didn't see before on it tonight. So let's have another look. But it's not that I can see anywhere. No. I mean, it might be here underneath, like the record collectors portion. There's a lot going on. So yeah. It's hard to pick out. But even then, they're just on the shit that no one was really onto back then. No. No, you gotta get no. my actual copy of this thing out and look at it. Yeah, it's way easier to actually probably look at on the actual record, and I'm going to do that later. But yeah, someone out there as well. I'm going to say this again, please. The deep heads dissect this and try to identify everything on it, please, and make some like clever like you know graph design thing where it's got like arrows pointing and what they are and the collective worth would be great. Yeah. And then send it to us, and uh, maybe someone will make a bootleg T-shirt because it'd be the greatest shirt ever made. Maybe it'd be a cool shirt if you had that on the cover, and then on the back, like just a list of every record that's on it. 
Yeah, it's wild. Um, I, I think that's it for tonight, though. Chris. Yeah, we're I think we're forever. Good. Yep. yep. Uh, next week on the show, my friend Jasmine from No Joy. It's a fun episode. We'll have lots to talk about, Chris. We'll be able to get in the mailbag as well. How do they send us those emails, though? Send us emails at turnedoutapunkfootnotes at gmail.com. So subscribe to this podcast, write a review for it, rate it, tell all your friends about it, and we will see you next week. Oh, you can find me on various forms of social media at Left for Damien. And uh, Facebook. There's a Facebook page run by Tristan Abraham, my brother, who was mentioned earlier, and show producer. What up, Tris? And that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.